here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. Hello, folks. It is Sean Zock, one of your two favorite co-hosts here at the Drop Zone. Today's episode is with Shane Bacon, the golf broadcaster, podcaster, and as of recently, a children's book author. His book is The Golfer's Zoo. We're going to get into what made him write a children's book and also going to get into everything that happened in like the first five and a half months of the golf season, the PGA Tour season, the, the golf season at large. So stay tuned for that. First, I'm going to tell you about Radmore. We have been talking about Radmore on this podcast for months and months and months and months. And we're going to do it for at least another month here because it's Christmas season. It's holiday season. And I know that, I don't know, you're probably behind on buying things for people. So just take it. Take your cue from the drop zone. Run to radmoregolf.com. Everything is 25% off. And I've been telling you all summer that you can even find clearance items and use 25% off on those things. So you're talking 40, maybe even 50% off on the best stuff that they have at radmoregolf.com. With the code, of course, it's DROPZONE, D-R-O-P-Z-O-N-E. That is your key to unlocking all the savings. So without any further ado, this is me and Dylan talking to Shane Bacon about his book and a lot of the golf season getting nerdy, nitty, ditty, gritty, all of it right here on the Drop Zone. Shane Bacon is here. Shane, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I've uh, I've had a, a very holiday day today. So um, <laughs> this is like the most relaxing thing I'll do. Um, what is today? The 15th of December? This 15th. is 15th. This is the most relaxing thing. We're doing our Christmas tomorrow um, with the kiddos. So I was sanding the world up uh, this morning and just kind of getting stuff together because we actually are going to get out of the cold for three weeks um, starting next week. So wow. um, I, I, you know what? I'm, I'm very interested in like my three-year-old went to school today. And I'm interested in what he's going to say when he tells people that Santa's coming tomorrow. <laughs> like, is is this going to be the earliest someone figures out that this is bullshit? Mm. Because he's <laughs> the other kids are obviously going to go. Well, no, no, no. What are you talking about? Tomorrow's the the 16th. You know how how long did you believe in Santa for? I think I was probably longer than most because I wanted to cling to the idea of it, and my parents, like my mom, is an extremely creative person, and the Santa experience was great. And so I think I really wanted to cling to it longer, even when I knew it was BS, because I just really enjoyed what my mom... I, I also knew it didn't exist, and I would stay up late on Christmas Eve, and I would come down the next morning, and I'm like, when did you do this? I went to bed at midnight, and it's 6 a.m. right now. Like, what? What? Like, how did you do all this in five hours? I mean, now having children, there's like no chance in hell I could do any of that. <laughs> um, Shane, wait, so are you going to be like... I'm trying to think of, A, how this translates into the rest of your life. Maybe this uh, Santa fixation, you know, well into your teenage years. Maybe that's why you became a golf broadcaster. You just like the, you know, the romantic ideas of what could be. (laughs) That's probably the tie. That's probably the tie there to share. I think that's it. Also wondering if you scored like a sweet deal that has you celebrating Christmas early and escaping off for uh, other fun times. The, the only bonus about the early Christmas is, A, we already talked about, Sydney already talked about this, but we could like go get coffee at a nice coffee place tomorrow and the places aren't going to be closed. Mm-hmm. And if we need to grab anything like last minute, that's not going to be an issue. 
Um, the other really nerdy dad thing is the place I drop boxes off at like the recycling center by my house is open on Saturday. So oh I'm really my excited God. about that. So this is you Christmas, have quickly ascended. I am, to I am a I am a dad. Hey, can dad. I ask you guys a Christmas question real quick? Yes. What's the best golf gift you received when you guys were in your formidable years, either from Santa or a parent? And if you have to think about it, I'll say I got I remember getting the 975D and I remember it really, really being a big moment in my life. That's a great question. Sean, did you get golf stuff for Christmas? I didn't really uh, become a golfer until like high school. So I was not really getting gifts. And plus my parents, they don't golf. Like they don't know what they're doing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's it. My parents don't really play golf either, which is, but my grandparents played golf. So they would kind of send in some, you know, you know I remember I got one of those. It's just like, it's like bad golf balls. It's like, hey, you I get found the yeah, yeah. Balls up that you right. wanted. <laughs> Like, that's that's actually the first thing that came to mind was just a I think I got uh maybe fifteen top flights, like not your standard dozen, but like yeah, yeah. one of the a mega pack. Um, yeah, extra, extra. And the then XL I remember 2000s. getting one of those I remember getting one of those stencils also where you can draw a line on your golf ball. But like and it had like a stamping possibility. I kinda have a memory of that. I got I don't a know if I ever used it one time. A bag tag that had like a it was like a customized UW like Wisconsin bag tag. And I was just like, you know, it's this like hard plastic thing that just flaps in the wind and it's just like I don't I just don't want it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Aunt Kathy. Like <laughs> it's not working for me. Shane, to turn this back on you really quickly, because I yeah. feel like with the box thing made me really kind of wonder are is your christmas tree going to be gone by the time you go on vacation aka well before christmas no because fake it's our first uh, fake christmas tree year they could stay up as long i don't care I w the stress of having a real tree is not worth the smell around the house i'm telling you guys i was very heavy <laughs> on the real tree my entire life my wife talked me into the fake one this year game changer i, I will never go back to real fake i mean Stay up there till March. I don't care. Stay up till the Masters. It's fine. <laughs> have to water it. Don't have to worry about it. Um, you know. All right. I. Yeah. All right, Sean. You ready? You ready to get this <laughs> train back on the tracks? Sorry. Yeah. No. The Polar Express train is what we're going to try and get back on the tracks here. Uh, Shane, you're a children's book author. That is the most recent development in your life besides going to the post office twice today. Why are? Why did you write a children's book? Because there didn't seem to be much in the golf children's book space is probably the main reason. Um, I, you know, when we had Henry, you receive a lot of stuff. And obviously a lot of that stuff is golf themed, as we were just talking about in terms of holiday gifts. If people know you're in the golf space, you get a lot of that stuff, even if you want it or you don't want it. I was surprised by how little amount of golf books we got. And so when I started to do a little bit of research, I realized that they just didn't really exist. And so, you know, I I'd had this this kind of romantic idea that Joel Klatt of all people had told me uh, a couple of years ago when I called him about how he got his boys into golf and how he went about playing golf with his sons because he has three boys. And he said he'd play a hole of golf and, and play golf. And then the next hole he'd let them do whatever they wanted. If they wanted to play in the sand or go throw rocks in the water, go look at the animals. And when he started to talk about the animals and how much the kids gravitated to that part of golf, it kind of opened up my mind in that sphere. And so that's when I was like, you know what? I mean, Every golf course is a zoo when you really think about it, right? Every golf course regionally or different countries. I mean, we laugh. I know kind of the Twitter group of golfers that, that we tend to, to chat with and talk offline with, 
you know, we laugh a lot of the time at animal content, but it's true. <laughs> and um, that was a, basically where it all derived from was a, there wasn't really a lot of golf children's books out there. And B I thought I saw with my son, he loved books with animals in them. And I said, we have, this is what golf is. I mean, if you go play golf and you don't bring your clubs and you just walk around and look, you're going to see a ton of animals and you're going to see a ton of nature. And so it's kind of leaning on that park mentality a little bit. I do think we forget sometimes. And, and I remember talking to David McClay kid about abandoned dunes and his reminder was like, look, Dylan, you know, you live in Seattle, whatever. You seem like kind of an outdoorsy guy. You got to remember that for some people going out on a golf course is the most outdoorsy thing that they will ever do. It is the closest <laughs> to nature that they will ever get. And, uh, I think that, yeah, it's a great point that we kind of lose track of sometimes like, yeah, that's where you see the birds. That's where you see the fish and the various animals that you see out there. Uh, I'm in on this, Shane. I don't have I don't have any kids, so I actually have not read your book yet. But do you think adults would enjoy it too? I mean, to, I mean, I I would say there's probably an IQ cutoff, so you're probably right on the line. I would say <laughs> to share. I think Zach probably wouldn't be into it, but I'll send you a copy and you make the you make the call. I'd say oh, either way. That's very kind. Um, I think we're here in part to discuss the first six months of this golfing year, Sean. Is that right? Yeah. For sure. I had one more question about the golfer zoo, though. That's oh, what right. the book's called. The golfer right. zoo. Were there were there animals that you just had to keep out of the golfer zoo because you just couldn't imagine them on a golf course? Mm. You know, it's a it's a really good question. I I don't think intentionally I did, but um, now I'm going to go back through the book and think about that because <laughs> I uh, now I'm going to think about was there an animal that I omitted that I probably wished I would have put in. But I mean, there's let's listen. There's a lot of nature in this bad boy. I mean, there are just about every animal I could squeeze in there, and even some that were questionable decisions on how often they're actually out on a golf course. So are we talking about to... burrowing animals at all? Like, are we getting into there's... the rules? Like, is are ants included? Are, is Bryson included? No, there's no, there's no Bryson in there, but there are a couple of uh, of jokes about you know the the animals <laughs> out there that maybe use your golf clubs that you break or throw into the woods um, to build their own uh, homes and structures. So. Uh, I definitely poke a little bit of fun at our psychotic golf idea. lines. Yeah. I think have you, important. do you have any memorable animal encounters yourself, Shane, on the golf course? You know, I lived in Arizona for a long time. I only saw two rattlesnakes. I remember mm. one, I was working at True North and it was on the ninth hole of the pinnacle course and it was massive. I would say that is probably the one that sticks out of my mind the most. And then any javelinas out there that you'd run into, always kind of freaked me out and were relatively aggressive. I don't even know what but that is. Never seen a, I've never seen a bear on a golf course. I've always wanted to. Um, have you guys seen a bear ever? Dylan you ever like, yeah. Sure. You've seen a oh, bear. Yeah. How far away? New Hampshire. There was a lot of bears. I, I lived up there for a summer right when I turned pro. Um, pretty close. Probably, you know, like in the woods, like just crossing the path right, right before I walked there, probably 30, 40 feet. So what do you um, what do you do? Do you just turn around and go the other way, or what's the what's the what's the protocol? Well, these are just black bears, and they're actually a very uh, friendly, gentle creature for the most part. Okay. I'm a big bear guy, also. Okay, well, okay, okay. So I you. love. So I'm I'm not going the other direction because I'm really excited to see the bear. But yeah, you just keep your distance. You kind of, I think, as one would do, hopefully inspired by the golfer's zoo. You respect the animal. Uh, you you're in their habitat, and you yep. kind of remember that. You're not going to get any closer. You don't have to do the selfie thing. But, yeah, then you just let them amble on by, and then, yeah, you move on. Uh, Dylan, real quick, when you say you're a big bear guy, <laughs> so I just want to expand a little bit on that. Um, 
when when did you start becoming a bear person or when did you realize you were a bear person like is this like a That's jack a nicholas thing or you know no, like, where, do, where, do, I just where do we think, go from mm, i don't i don't know the origins of my i just i mean I'm, look i'm i'm a big fan of just sort of like a large uh furry animal in general like i okay. i just was writing about uh moose actually today okay. for this story about alaskan golf that just went up on golf.com uh i think i just you know i'm just impressed by just a large, able animal. Just something that can really gotcha. get after it in the wild. <laughs> Not bear specific is what you're saying. I mean, it could be elk. You'd be into an elk, maybe. Yeah, but I think the bear has something. Uh, there is some some majestic quality about the bear, and I would say also the moose. Elk okay. are, you know, it's a knockoff moose. Hey, why was Steve Elkington not? The elk. Why did they not go there? Did That's they a go great there? Great question. Seems like that would have been just a layup nickname. Elk. I think he was called Elk for short sometimes. Right, but, but I don't feel like it was elk. ever like he wouldn't. I mean, nowadays it would have been the logo. It would have been on his bag. He would have had some sort of an elk sponsorship deal. Mm. I just it was seemed like it was a missed opportunity. That's all I'm saying. Well, yeah, your friend Max Homa is going to run into that at some point here with HBO Max potentially just switching over to max but that's a different okay. discussion a good, for a different a time idea. i want to read you guys the official world golf ranking from week one 2022 end of 2021 um john rom at number one and you know by over a point solidly number one colin morikawa number two and then a ways behind him we have dustin johnson patrick cantlay justin thomas victor hovland was number six Xander, Bryson was number eight, Rory was number nine, wow. Cameron Smith was number ten. Uh, let's see a few other notables. You have Spieth at fifteen. Uh, Daniel Berger was in the top twenty. He was at eighteen. Wow. Um, Will Zalator. Oh, Joaquin Neiman was down at thirty-one. Matthew Wolf was still at thirty. Uh, Will Zalatoris was at thirty-six, which was one spot behind Phil Mickelson. <laughs> Guys, a lot happens in a year. I guess oh that's the God. story I'm trying to tell with with that little run through. It was it's the weird weirdest year, right? I mean, weirdest year in golf history. Is that fair to say? I mean, with everything combined in it. I mean, I think your point about the golf is maybe the part we forget the most, right? Like who was ranked one and where some of these guys fell. But in terms of just golf across the board, we had these mixes of greatness, right? We had like top star athletes winning big events mixed in with the crazy weirdest strangest like what's going to happen next week year we've ever had in the sport i think no one in golf media cares more about like the year-end top three in the rankings more than dylan at least mm, that's the yep. vibe that i get he really cares about these things and it's never been more important like the fact that cam smith was ranked 10th and just kind of like entering our i guess our ecosystem of, of what we care about he beats john rom in hawaii week one he shoots 34 under in the process and obviously that is 12 months ago but it feels like 12 years ago uh and it feels that way because life was so simple then it really was simple i thought we had john rahm as like our king number one in the world he quickly kind of falls off after that and cam smith like I'm just worried about what the PGA Tour is going to do with all of its recent winners at the beginning of the year. They can't talk about Cam Smith winning Hawaii. They can't talk about Hudson Swafford winning in the desert. They can't talk about Cam winning the players. Can't talk about Joaquin winning the Genesis. Wow. The Swafford <laughs> in the desert, that's the one that's really going to get them. 
Yeah, that keeps Jay up at night for sure. He's just he's just like, I can't. What are we going to do here? He's, he's just bouncing ideas at 1158 via text message. It That's a great point, by the way, Sean. I haven't thought about that at all is like, how are they going to go about the discussion points around these past winners? And, you know, one of my big things is like, just face it. I mean, mm-hmm. I've always I wish that we would just face it on like it's they went to live. And that's now a part of our life. Like that's a part of golf now. And this past year was kind of understanding that and trying to, you know, digest what the hell had just happened. But I think going forward to just dismiss the fact that these people had such a year, you know, like the cam thing, I'd forgotten how great cam played in Hawaii. I remember it being really easy and I remember the scores being crazy low, but I totally forgot that he'd won that at what was it 34 under that yeah, we said? That's absurd. 34 under. <laughs> and that's what his like third, fourth most important week of the year, you know, like that started the season off. Oh. He was, and I think actually maybe the list I read you guys was after the first week, but either way, he was like in the twenties in the world. That I think that's kind of what I was trying to focus on is like this year was the ascent of Cam Smith. And that was the beginning of it was at in Hawaii. And it's a particularly painful loss for the PGA tour. And you know, there are a few very painful losses in terms of guys that have gone to live, but this was Cam Smith absolutely peaking this year, becoming a star on the world stage um, a worldwide star, an Australian guy, sweet mullet, as everyone knows. But he wasn't like a world top three player before this year. There right. were questions about whether he was ever going to live up to his obvious talents. And then to do it, yeah, at the Tournament of Champions, which is a, a tour flagship stop. And then obviously, you know, we'll get to the players. But this was the first, uh, the first sign that, this guy was going to have a big year and then, you know, obviously took a a crazy twist. So who owned, who owned this? We're talking the first six months. So I think it's the easiest to say it was Scheffler that owned it. But when you think about what Cam did at some of the big events and to share, you said it, I mean, you can't sleep on the tournament of champions and how important it is for golf, because I think it's one of the most sought after events in terms of viewership. I mean, it's on late. You know, it's in Hawaii. It's mm-hmm. cold in a big in a lot of parts of the country. You get this. It's a for whatever reason, it feels like a breath of fresh air in terms yeah, of golf. Viewing, even though it's been like five weeks since we watched competitive golf, I just feel like it's a big event. And then for that to happen, and for the players to happen, and how good he was, obviously in the second part of the season. I wonder when we look back at twenty two. I always try to think of who owned the year. Mm-hmm. And I think there's probably three candidates for it. I mean, Scheffler's obvious for what he did in the early parts. I think Cam's there. And then the interesting part is is Rory owned both parts of golf, both in front of the microphone and on the golf course, yet, of course, didn't win a major championship. So I feel like if you voted online, you're probably going to get Scheffler get more of the votes than anybody else. But I don't think it would be 5% for Cam or Rory. I think they'd get a decent percentage as well. No, I think that's a good point. I think I think it would actually be very close. And I think the affection for Rory would actually probably put him over the top. Yeah, you're right. Um, in Phoenix, I think we have a candidate for shot of the year. Sam Ryder makes the ace, for sure the ace of the year. But I think it's possible that no golf shot was seen by more people this year than that golf shot. Um, everyone knows about it, right? Colt knows, screams, cocktails, and there's beer flying everywhere. And then 
I, I don't want to like turn this, this conversation south, but like the next day, Joel and Harry lift their shirts and run around in the green. Yeah. And I was going to say more people probably saw Harry Higgs's birdie putt <laughs> than saw Sam Ryder's ace. But like what, what I'm thinking back to now is how quickly it, it kind of turned to where that really, really fun moment was like, wait, do we need to protect these players? Justin Thomas was said it the next day. He's like, we, we need to like institute some sort of boundaries here. Like, do you think Phoenix needs some sort of rules, Shane? Or do we just need to let Phoenix be Phoenix? You're that really fun cousin we get to hang out with like once a year and things get a little haywire, but we can't be doing this every single week. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a little bit like the airport rules where you can eat anything or drink at any time and nobody's going to like look sideways at you at an airport. I feel like Phoenix is that where we do have to just let it be. I mean, you know, I, I got an email yesterday about I didn't even realize they had that new concert series last year. It's like concert in the Coliseum or something at night. Yeah. I mean, this thing's only going to grow. What's yeah. wild about TPC Scottsdale and what the Thunderbirds do there is they've started to move away from 16 and add grandstands and other elements there. But, you know, you think about 14 and like back by that tee and 13 green, which is exciting. It's a par five that players can go at in two and you're going to see Eagles and some crazy stuff. And then one of the more fun tee shots to hit at 14, they could blow that up as well. You think about the whole front nine after three and four, when you go out there and walk around and you might think it's the Tucson open and not the Phoenix open with how few people are out there watching the golf. <laughs> I feel like there's still so much more opportunity to blow that thing up. I say, no seatbelts, no airbags. <laughs> Let Phoenix be Phoenix. Let Scottsdale be Scottsdale until it gets to a point where, I mean, maybe you just almost have to end the thing. But, I mean, to yeah. me, it's it's always been that rarefied event, and the players understand what they're getting into. And the nice thing about golf is you don't have to play it, right? I mean, I guess now moving forward, you are, in theory, going to have to play it in, in some capacity. But, you know, in previous years, it was like you could play it or you didn't have to, and right. the young people always were choosing to play. It's you so do get fun. one skip. Like yeah. you get, you can skip so, once. but I mean, I think we still have not quite realized because it's still a couple months away. That's going to be one of the most unprecedented golf tournaments of all time. Yep. Yes. Super Bowl <laughs> week in Phoenix, waste management week. Now, what is it? The, the second ever elevated event, or I'm told that they may be called something else. Now elevated might be out. Uh, <laughs> Designated designated event. Well, Shane, if if some events are elevated, then what are the other events? You know. Ah, I see what you're so saying. So I haven't seen uh, yeah. elevated in the language much recently. Gotcha, but gotcha. I think that week that I know golf has had uh, the waste management and the Super Bowl in Phoenix in the same week, but we've never had it with every top player on the PGA Tour there at the same time. And I think that's what we're going to get this year. It's going to be awesome. So the last the last Super Bowl there was that which one was that was that Eli Pats was that the last one it seems like there maybe was one between then I'm just trying to think because because you know Phoenix Switch to share to your point is mm -hmm. I, when I was going there when I was like just blogging and kind of that would be one of the one or two events I'd go to for the whole season when I would go you didn't get this push of young people that really started I think JT Spieth were really kind of the catalyst for getting everybody to start going to that because you know Ricky would go and then it was like hey we're young we should go to this as well <laughs> and so I feel like the last six seven years we've seen a big jump there but I'm wondering to your point if there's been a Super Bowl with you know this much in terms of player because the field was the field always now it's obviously going to be an impressive field with the best players in the world involved as well yeah. I resent you bringing up the Eli 
Patriots Super Bowl. But I will counter that luckily the last, the most recent Super Bowl held in Phoenix uh, was the uh, Malcolm Butler, Tom Brady over the Seahawks Oh, that's Super right. Bowl. So I happier, much this. happier memories. That's right. My buddy Tim Lynch, Seahawks diehard fan, won tickets to the game, oh, wins no. tickets from work, and goes to that game with his buddy and they had all their Seahawks gear on, and he had to go to work the next day, uh, which was equally as brutal. But yeah, that's hey, right. how great is this going to be? I need to know. But they're going to win. I'm going to go to work with. It's going to be a great yeah. night. And then Butler changes everything for for the for the good of you to, to share. I need to know if you guys have had this experience because whenever I tell anybody about my job or that I work in the golf industry, they always wonder, "Oh, have you been to the Masters?" But then the second event that they're curious about is the waste management. Is that the same for you guys? Mm. Like, do they ask you about? No one asks me. Oh, have you ever been to the Open? Have you been to? to Pebble Beach for the U.S. Open. It's a great point. It's always fucking waste management, which blows my mind. Uh, but it happened just this past weekend. And sometimes it comes before the Masters. Like, some people just really... I think that we we need to keep it no seatbelts, like you said, Shane, uh, because it's just such a, such a potential opportunity for what is ultimately the sixth or seventh most popular pro sport to just continue to, to get on people's radar. Um, in the Super Bowl is obviously a great opportunity. Uh, a week later was the Genesis. And looking back now, I thought it was so hilarious how we had the Sam Ryder, we had the Harry Higgs, the, the Joel Damon. And in a matter of days, it went from this happy-go-lucky, golf is so fun, to discussing live in Saudi Arabia in the most like negative fashion. Um, and, and truly a matter of days, we went from this amazing thing to like, holy cow, golf is ripe for the taking. Um, I was curious, Shane, like, where were you that week and how much of it were you glued to? Because it felt like everyone in golf was talking about this one thing and opining on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have been uh, I would have been in studio um, in Stanford, you know, doing golf today and just like, you know, obviously being fired up for. I would say probably my favorite event of the year is Riv. I mean, I, mm. I think in terms of the field, you know, what's interesting. I'd like your opinion on this as well, fellas, but I, I get jazzed when I listen to the players respect for the golf course, whether it be a tour stop or a major stop, like it jazzes me up when you hear players talk in reverence of the golf course. And it happens a lot at Augusta national, unless you're Tyrrell Hatton, it happens at a lot of us open venues, obviously the open this year, you get that in spades. But when you hear Max and JT and Neiman and Tiger and Rory, all these people talk about Riviera and these guys that are savants in the sport explaining why it's so awesome for that gets me as excited as anything else in pre-tournament prep. And I mean, that's why I think, you know, Riv has always been high on my list. It continues to grow because it's not just the players now, but then you're going to get media members as well, like the Andy Johnsons of the world that, you know, sit there and go, no, 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 this is the best golf course they play for the year. I think and that's no because water. like, yeah, and, and we're also told by players so many times like that they, you know, oh, the course is in great shape. That's their, that's their mm. thought. Go to, wherever, go-to. wherever yeah. they yes. go. Oh, 3M, great to be here. You should see the greens. Never this seen the greens this good. good. Never seen them this good. Yeah, and there's no context behind those thought processes, and there's no, like, depth to them. And so you're right, Shane. Understanding, like, hitting the ball both ways, the type of player that has to win at these golf courses, it makes you, it just tunes us in more because we're the ones that are always listening to players kind of BSing their way through golf course talk. Um, I just can't get out of my head 
how much of a referendum it felt like uh, to get Joaquin Neiman and Rory and Morikawa and uh, every single big player in the field, Hovland. Like that felt like we were in a we were just in a very weird spot that week. Dylan, you were at, at Genesis. Did it yeah. like? Do you think of it oh, as yeah. being weird? Oh, I well, I think of it as being. Well, ironically, it felt like the moment that Liv was going to potentially die. Like that was. Yeah. That was. <laughs> I think it. I honestly think it sort of was though. Yeah. I mean, we we were putting together some timelines for. Uh, golf magazine and I, I wrote a story about live versus the PGA tour. And that's kind of where I started was at Riviera because that week there was plenty of chatter. You know, I remember seeing uh, Bryson and DJs like agents chatting on the putting green and <laughs> thinking like, Oh, I wonder what that's about. And um, then it sort of flipped gears to a lot of guys like pledging their allegiance John Rom swore his fealty to the PGA. That was I remember that. It's amazing. That was pretty cool. And it, it, pretty much everyone that spoke about it on the record, Max Homo was great as always talking about, you know, what, what money can buy and of, uh, of all the cool things about winning at Riviera the previous year, you know, how much money he made had never really entered his mind. That was a, a great moment. Uh, Adam Scott was said it was pretty intriguing actually. Um, the idea of of Liv's structure. Someone else said they couldn't talk much about it because they'd signed something. <laughs> anyway, intriguing times. Then I remember after the first round, actually, Neiman being asked about it, and he was like, "I I would just rather not talk about that if that's okay." It was like so polite, and here he had just you know shot a great round, and everyone was kind of like, "Yeah, okay, you know that seems fair. You probably are not really ready to discuss this." and so there's a lot of kind of foreshadowing, but at the time the story was, uh, A, this thing seems like it's about to happen, and then boom, the Phil news drops, and suddenly it's like, no, 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 this thing is not happening. How many times did we write it off to share? How many times in the early parts of the season do you think Liv got written off? Because it feels like there were two moments, and Riv, obviously, to Zach's point, is one of those moments, but it definitely felt like we hit it a couple times where we went, Okay, this is going to go away. Okay, this is going to go away. And then obviously we know we know it. It did not, in fact. Hold on, let me check. No, it didn't. It didn't go away. It's, it still exists. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's true. I mean a lot, yeah. many times. And to be fair, we we do this thing as golf media, as golf fans. You know, our friends who follow the game, we take our cues from the biggest voices in the world. And right. Rory literally said, "I think it's dead in the water," and. Bryson, who is, you know, extremely affiliated with this thing, puts out a statement and says he's out. And, you know, DJ too. It's just a. It was just a reminder, as much as and like, Xander. Xander <laughs> issued a statement. I, I was, remember that the right. Xander statement. <laughs> Truly answering a question that nobody no at that asking. time was asking. <laughs> yeah, I. I just. Hey Xander, real quick, can I grab you for two minutes? And like, we're good. Actually, I think we're good on this. I, I just it stunned me how much um how much we were being lied to. And I understand that like creating this massive competitor to the PGA tour is gonna involve a lot of uh dishonesty. But holy cow, man, we were we were ripe for the taking and I think even players like Rory were ripe for the dishonesty as well. 
Has has this year changed? Kind of talking about the the honesty, if you will, of the words athlete says. And I mean, they can say whatever they want. That's mm-hmm. their life. That's their job. But considering you guys are on the road a lot and you guys cover the tour week to week and throughout the year, did this year change the way you kind of interpret answers at all oh my God, from the yeah. players? Oh my God! Did it? Did it can yes. you tell also <laughs> to share like somebody that, that's really there asking questions week to week, uh, you know, month to month, like? Could you feel being lied to at times? <laughs> I mean, it's a good question. Sometimes, no, I would say okay. is the the first part. Um, like, I don't know. I guess at the in the in the moments that I had some conversations, I generally believed that people uh, were. I'm thinking of Joaquin Neiman in particular because I ran an interview with Neiman in Golf Magazine that I think arrived in people's mailboxes. Uh, you know, maybe a day or two before he announced he was going to live. And in that interview, he said, no, I'm, I'm, I want to play where the best players are. I had talked to him at the U S open. He was like, no, no. I mean, maybe if I was 40, if I was like Sergio's age, then maybe I would go. And there was sort of too much detail in those answers to really make me think that he was, uh, lying. But I think, I think that this year things just were shifting constantly, but yeah, I do think that that has been one of the turnoffs to live um, has been the the dishonesty and uh, Brooks Kepka comes to mind as someone that said one thing and then pivoted pretty quickly, pretty hard. And I think that is a thing that turned a bunch of players against him. Um, yeah, so I guess I, to your point about athlete says, like increasingly in the world of quick hitter, stuff and you know an an athlete just saying something is sort of newsworthy in and of itself this is probably the year where uh in the golf world required a little bit of a check a little bit of like a all right we really need some context around what you're saying here because there are more agendas this year than there ever have been really I never I never felt more lied to than I felt the week of live uh, London and interesting, (laughs) which like it shouldn't come as like a huge surprise because of who you consider to be involved. But it was actually this is just like a perfect crystallization of it all is, you know, there's the scrum of probably 15 reporters doing, you know, live media and you got Sergio Graham McDowell coming through Martin Keimer coming through Lee Westwood Poulter all these Phil all these guys that have for sure just like flipped a switch in their brain and convinced themselves we're moving forward we're not looking back we're moving forward and these are the talking points that Liv has given me we're sticking with these and I have to believe them and then there comes DJ and Dustin Johnson is you know at, a, at any given point in his life been like a horrible press conference, but also an amazing one at the same time because he tells you just about nothing, but it's also mostly like true. He just doesn't expand upon anything. Um, And so you have all those guys I just mentioned basically lie their asses off, say that they want to have more time with their family. They want to play fewer events. Um, Various other non-truths were shared and then dj comes up there and just basically has this classic dj presser which was this revelation of of honesty coming from this source that we never would have predicted it came from and dj's up there and basically jamie weir asks him so like you know what what are you gonna do with all this 
you know, money or whatever. What are you going to do with your extra time off? And he's like, oh, I'm going to go fishing. It's like, gosh, that is the truth. That is what DJ will do. And he walks off the podium. Um, I had asked him if his contract is for multiple years or not. And he said, yeah, multiple. And he walks off, which is true. <laughs> he's not expanding. He walks off the podium and then like looks to me one-on-one. He just says, it's worth four years. And I was like, wow, another flash of honesty coming from Dustin Johnson. It, it was just so enlightening that like all day long being hammered with these fake half-truths, non-truths, and then of all places, Dustin Johnson delivers, you know, the actual honesty that I was looking for. And uh, it, it, it has stuck with me since because the entire enterprise of Live, as we've discussed, has been like rooted in these rumors and half-truths and... Um, that's really dizzying for our job. And uh, so I really appreciate DJ. And I, I honestly just want more DJ pressers at this point. Make it its own channel. Shane, what was your perspective as someone that was, you know, reporting the news on a on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I mean, I, it was, again, I, I think I was in the same place as you guys where, I mean, you know, half the time you're hearing one thing and then you're, you're hearing rumors or, you know, people are messaging you or sending you emails or notes about uh, what's actually happening or what seems to be the case. And so um, I think, you know, we all learn to, you know, not run with everything. It's funny, right? We, we learn to source stuff in journalism school or whatever you want to call it. And then it's weird. We live in a space now where I feel like it's the least we source ever because of Mm -hmm. social media and how fast we've got to get things out. And I feel like if nothing else, Liv was a good reminder that you need to go through the sourcing process that you learned when you were 19 or 20 years old. And uh, I I basically, around the Riv time, I basically decided that I wasn't going to live in a space of trying to break this news because A, I didn't want to be wrong. And B, I've never really been that interested in doing that to begin with. Like, that's not really the space I want to be in. And see, I saw how complicated it was going to become. <laughs> I didn't realize it was going to be as complicated as it did become, but I saw that this wasn't just going to be, yes, I'm going to live or no, I'm not. And so I just tried to kind of avoid that. And the moment I, I kind of stepped out of the rumor mill, it made it a little bit easier because then I got, just got, got to react and listen. Yeah, that's a really good point on the news breaking front because even if you sort of had the inside track on something this year, it kind of wasn't true until it was official. Yeah. Like you could be right about something. You said statements to moment. share. These people, these people sent out statements that said they yeah. weren't going. I mean, yeah. these are like a, you can find them online. I mean, these aren't yeah. these aren't text messages. These are like letter front uh, send through social media through the PGA Tour, whatever. I mean, this is like as official as it should be. Yeah. <laughs> yet obviously they they weren't true. And I had a I had a chat with Patrick Cantlay at the President's Cup about this, which was interesting. And he his point was like, I can't believe guys are going out of their way to say so definitively, like I'm never going. He's like, look, right now I have no plans to go play on the Live Tour, right. but it's sort of hard to say that definitively forever. Like circumstances change, etc. It's so. You only you can only really report the news that's true in that moment. And I guess other sports like they they don't right. really worry about that. It's like, oh, yeah, so and so is talking to uh, the Sixers and free agency. And and it's like, yeah, that's true. But tomorrow it might not be true. And it's no worries. But this is such a black and white thing of, OK, once you go to live, you're not coming back that, you know, it was kind of weird. And I think mostly people, well, other than some just dumb accounts that 
you know, people started to believe on Twitter, mostly people got things right. Cameron Young seemed like the one that that got a little bit screwed up, that really entered like the stratosphere. And then people continue to say that Xander and Cantlay are going to live. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a bit of a weird one with breaking news because it felt like none of it was 100% true until Liv actually announced it. Yeah, it's it's about kind of opportunity. I mean, I think that's what Liv showed us this past year was – you know, players were given opportunity and I don't even think the players realized that opportunity until it happened. And it felt a little bit like if you interviewed everybody the day after they got married and said, are you ever going to get divorced? Like nobody's going to say yes, yet 50% of people get divorced, right? It's like, you're not going to go to live. But you know what though? They just sent like your agent, like a $70 million contract. So now maybe you're still not going to go to live, but now maybe 2% of you is interested or 8% or 30%. And then maybe they up the number and now 40%. And so it, it is interesting. I, I wonder what it's going to look like in five or 10 years when we look back on this time and this quote unquote era, right, of live versus the PGA Tour and who we're going to find wrong in it. Because I think it, the consensus right now is lying and being deceitful about what you're telling people probably isn't the right approach. And at the same time, there's a there's a there's a big number of people that don't care if you go to live or not, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the general public, you know, sports fan doesn't care nearly as much as the hardcore golf fan. And so it's just been interesting to hear the different worlds talk about this thing and to see how much this mattered to the world outside of golf. Yes, totally agree. Um, let's keep moving forward. I just want to note that if you want, I think a very funny thing, you can go to Phil Mickelson's Instagram and you can see the posts that he made in like January and February before making uh, his statement, which was um, not so much an apology to his fans as much as it was to Saudi Arabia's um, ruling government. But then there's no statement, there's no Instagram, there's no social media from Phil for about four months. Then he makes another statement and then there's no social media from Phil for another couple months. And then it's like, if you needed a picture of what is like happy-go-lucky PGA Tour to, oh, shit, we're in the live years. <laughs> like, it's Phil mm. Mickelson's Instagram. Uh, go ahead, Dylan. You know what we learned this year? Well, not everyone learned, but something that I recently learned from Tom Brady, you don't have to put it on the grid. You yes. don't have to. Thank you. Tom Brady sent out a, a tasteful note about his split from Giselle on Instagram stories, and it's like, my brother, someone is going to screenshot that and it will get shared. You don't really have to worry. But once it's on your Instagram, it's there because at what point are you then going to go back and delete it? Like you're mm-hmm. not going to. So then instead, when people are going to Phil's Instagram and scrolling through, they're like, wait a minute, what is that? That doesn't need to be on there forever. The, the thing we forget about social media, everybody has it, right? I mean, everybody's got social media, athletes, media, you know, people that aren't involved in that at all. Every walk of life, everybody's got some social media, right? I mean, 99.9%. Those are the three there. groups of people in this world, yes, Shane. Yes, media, athletes, media, athletes, and everybody and else. Other, yeah. Not, I don't want to talk about politicians. I don't want to talk about activists. Simply my three pools. <laughs> um, but like people are bad at it. People are bad at social media. And, and, you know, Phil Mickelson continues to remind me that while Phil is incredibly clever and very, very smart, and some of the stuff he did, the fi- I think the fireside chats were very funny. They were. Phil probably shouldn't do social media. They were media. funny. Like, he shouldn't do it. Just don't do it. You know what Tom Brady doesn't need to do? 
Doesn't need to send that story out. You're good, mm-hmm. man. No, nope. you're good. Do, respect my personal space. Nobody's going to ask another question. Don't have to do any of that. I think it's the story so was brilliant. Story is smart. <laughs> Post, not smart. Okay, there you go. Uh, there you go. All right. So, Shane, were you at the players this year? Yes. Okay. So Dylan was there. I was not there. Um, what I remember is how wicked the weather was on Saturday. Saturday was that? Was that the day it was like royal? Saturday. Uh, Saturday. Here's how windy. Here's how windy it was on Saturday. My hotel was down by the beach, and you it had magnets on the doors because it was like you you entered from the outside. It had magnets on the doors to tell people, you know, to service your room or to not service your room, right? All the magnets magnets were blown off of the doors. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know if that means it was really extreme. All I know is I don't normally see wind blow magnets off of stuff. That's how windy it was. I couldn't find mine. Then I started to look around. They were on the floor. They were blown into the parking lot. It was windy. Isn't that fun? And wait, what? <laughs> yeah, at what point was this? This was because what? One of the first two days got canceled. It was like by Saturday, guys were still Friday might have got canceled or suspended, and then it was Saturday was the conclusion of that. Is that right? Yes. So James Colgan, our colleague, covered his first event. I had dinner with him at the players that week. By the way, that's right. And with with me too. That was a great time. But all right. So James Colgan's first ever PGA Tour event that he went to was the 2020 Players Championship, which, as you'll recall, was the last uh, event of uh, before the COVID shutdown. Hideki's players win. <laughs> he returned to the players this year in 2022. And I think, uh, you know, in both cases, they didn't quite finish the first day due to darkness. There was like still a group. So I think on Saturday morning this year, there was still a group that was finishing their first round. And someone can fact check me on this. But it was like James Colgan had been to two players. It was now the weekend of his second players. And he still had not seen one completed round. Uh, just a bizarre week. It was a bizarre week. I remember doing like a rain room interview um, with the rules official. And I think one of my last questions I asked him was, what happens if it's so windy they just can't play golf? You know, which (laughs) I thought was a bit of a stupid question to ask, but I ended up getting a nice question in my ear. I mean, felt a little bit like the open, you know, when Kepka said, I'm not going to keep playing. But that was my question. It's like, it's blowing so hard here that you can't throw a frisbee in this weather and you might not be able to play golf in this weather. So if you can't play golf, what do we do? I yeah. think was my simple uh, question. And he was like, you know, I guess we just don't, we just keep pushing this thing back. Right. But it was a, it was a really, really strange players week. I remember on, and I mean this, did they, did it finish on Monday? Yeah. Yeah. It Barely finished on too. Monday. Yeah. And I remember they were split team on Monday. And if you remember, Homa made a run, like Homa got to, within one or two of the lead out way earlier than everybody else. And I think he made bogey or something because he was playing the eighth. He was finishing on nine. <laughs> right. And I was thinking if he could go birdie, birdie, he might actually win the players. And uh, he might have made bogey on, on eight and made par on nine. But th- there was like you didn't know who was going to win this until you knew who was going to win it. And then he you know, he hit one of the great shots on 17 ever. But very strange players week for sure. It was like you think tensions are running high. That was the Daniel Berger, Joel Damon, yes. Victor yes. Hovland. uh you know, whatever, kerfuffle on the 16th hole. And at that point, we were like, I mean, I can't believe how much money these guys are playing for. This really, this makes hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of difference. Um, you know, the traffic was a disaster because it was the first year that they'd had full fans back, I guess. You had uh, Gino, Joel's caddy, was biking to the course because it, yep. t- it was taking like two hours to go 10 miles. Uh, to share, there was a, there was a guy I met and was talking to that took an uber 
to the players with his girlfriend. They were in the Uber. They were not moving. They were not moving at all. He got out of the Uber, walked to a gas station, got a six-pack of beer, walked back into the Uber, had moved like 50 feet. <laughs> they drank the six-pack, still had moved like a mile. And then he had to go to the bathroom. He got out of the Uber, <laughs> went and used the restroom at another gas station, and got back in the Uber, and was and was still not moving. Like it was a two and a half hour oh hour God. experience for five or six miles. I feel like no one reported all that to watch no golf. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all to watch no golf. All right, top three players finishing at the players: Cam Smith, Honor Bonlahiri, Paul Casey, Dylan. What do those three men have in common? Right-handed. Uh, oh no! They all play, all play for. <laughs> they all play for live golf. Man, it was fun watching Honor Bond try to hang on tight. Oh, at the players, it's great! It was great. Um, and uh, Cam Smith, God, putting. All the stats guys say that hot putting is unsustainable. But holy hell, when Cam Smith gets hot with the putter, it defies all statistical reason. Um, and that was the situation that he was in that week. He hit some God awful tee shots, uh, but he just could not miss. So he was a, a very worthy champion. Is Cam Smith the number one pick? If the European Ryder cup team could pick someone outside of Europe <laughs> to be on their team right now, yeah. is he the Ooh. number one draft pick? Gotta be right. Just yeah. brutal to play a match play. Who else? That you hate, play it, hate, hate playing the guy that makes 10 footers all the time for par. It's the worst. It's amazing in the modern game to be as average a driver of the golf ball as Cam Smith is and still be a world beater like he is. And the only way to do it is by being like unsustainably, impossibly good uh, <laughs> with those sweet hands of his. Uh, but to answer your question, I don't know who else it would be. I think that's the. I think at this point it's only Cam and Cam only. Yeah. But I'm sure in the past Ryder Cups it probably would have been a pretty fun conversation yeah, to have. Maybe Hideki, who knows? Um, Tom Kim for a little personality. Uh, nice. Let's talk Scotty. Scotty's run that Shane had discussed earlier. Um, it starts weekend of the Super Bowl. Phoenix. He had zero victories on Sunday morning in Phoenix, and then wins Phoenix, wins Bay Hill, wins the match play, wins the Masters. In a matter of, I think, eight weeks or so, he wins four times in six events. What I was thinking about with Scotty, though, is like that run was so quick, so high. Besides him putting on the green jacket, is there like an image that you think of when you think about Scotty's dominant run? Like it, it didn't really feel like he had these Hall of Fame moments during that, but it was as Tiger-esque as anyone's really been. It's a great point, Sean. I totally agree with you. It happened too fast. I think he won too much in too short of a window, and we didn't appreciate it as much. I think if you if he'd have won four times throughout the season and spaced that out a bit, mm -hmm. I think we would have probably appreciated it more. It's obviously more impressive what he did to win whatever four times in eight weeks, including and they and they're all huge wins, right? I mean, that's the other thing that people forget is what he wins Phoenix, he wins Bay yeah. Hill, he wins the match play, and he wins the Masters. I think that you sprinkle a match play win in on a run like that is just extremely underrated yes. because again, you can be playing sustainable golf and, and be in the hunt. I mean, we saw Rory do it at the end of the year, but match play. I mean, you can run into somebody that shoots 61 against you and you're out, or you could have a day where you shoot 73. I mean, pro golfers shoot 73 all the time. Right. And for him to do that and just to have that be one of the victories, I would say of the images outside of Augusta, I think becoming one that world number one. And what did his dad say? I'm more proud of the, yeah. the man you are than, you know, this yeah, thing. Yeah. I think that was probably, over maybe even the green jacket, maybe the image in the memory of the 
of the Scheffler season, just because again, like what a special thing to say to your son, like how cool that'll be if I can say that to Henry one day. Now this is also the kid that intentionally poked me in the eye yesterday, <laughs> like full on <laughs> eye poke. So we'll see if we improve in the next 15 yeah. or 20 years. And he but... can't even break 80 yet. Yeah, godly swings terrible, but we'll see if we can get there. His feet do move a lot like Scheffler's, but you know, I, I, I do wonder, you know, like those are special moments. And when you get, we, we also live in a content world where a lot of that stuff is created. Like, Hey, can you recall your girlfriend when you get your tour card? Sure. Um, that was a real genuine moment and a real special moment to see. So I would say of the year, that's probably the thing I'll remember the most about the Scheffler season. Yeah. He's an ugly crier. Just bawling yeah. into Meredith's shoulder. He's very ugly. Point. It was amazing, the range of his victories. Yeah, I mean, to Shane's point, the match play win, but then also, yeah, just four different golf courses asking different questions and then to answer all of those. Um, I guess there is a thing with the match play. The effect of the match play is that the the final day is in some ways the least interesting part of the competition. We get really into the pool play. We kind of forget, you know, the the Billy Horschel victory, the Scotty Scheffler victory, like those finals matches just don't quite have the same uh, pizzazz that the pool play stuff does. I haven't put their money up, haven't put mm. their money up for the championship. So, Hey, you've won this much for first or second. You have to put that up to play the championship <laughs> match or you get second place money. Let's, let's put a little, put a little of their blood in there. You know, I think the other thing with Scotty, uh, his master's highlight one is four putting on the 18th. Secondly, yeah. his his <laughs> his absurd chip in on the third hole, like thinned it. It's it's there's so many. There's jeez to share. You guys you guys are all this guy won the Masters. You guys are unbelievable. You guys are he was the breakaway world number one. But yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting point. Like, what is the what's the best shot that he hit? It's that shot. That, I mean, I, shot. I the, the, when you said when when Sean said it. The thing I thought about was the chip in at three. So, yeah. and Desher thinks he bladed it. So, it's, I, I do. I think he watch it, it again, Dylan. Skinny. It's pretty damn good. Um, the the thing about that though, I haven't watched but it in a we while. We thought he was gonna. We thought he was gonna lose. Like we thought he might lose yes. the Masters there, right? Yes. I mean, he might make five or six, and then he chips in for three. Is that right? Yeah. It's. I mean, it's got to be a one in a maybe two in a hundred shot to go in. Maybe it's he had. You're setting his. up a ping pong scenario there when when you're around that third green and yes, God, it looks hard and. I don't know. I got to watch it again. But that was my instinct at the time was like, whoa, <laughs> that thing was coming in hot. Uh, a question for the group. How many players in the world are capable of winning four tournaments in uh, oh. six weeks or whatever he did? I think it's like, I think it's maybe like three or four players. The confusing thing the confusing thing is that you would not have said Scotty Scheffler noted right. noted loser at yeah. the time. <laughs> Maybe the best player in the world without a win, you wouldn't have put him in that category. Yes. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go the other way. I, I I'm gonna go. It's probably a larger number than I would have initially thought of, simply because there maybe are twenty to fifty players Whew. that are talented enough to where if the confidence clicks and things are working the right way, they could go on a run. I don't know if I'd say 50 players can win four events, including the Masters, because I think the Masters number is probably the lowest number out there because I just think the the weight of trying to win that is the most massive thing and maybe all a sport. But Yeah, I mean, um, embedded in this question is like how many guys in the world can get to number one? Because that is almost yeah. guaranteed, right? If you win four events in six weeks, like you will 
make that jump if you're a PGA Tour player. So do you think Victor Hovland can do what Scheffler did? I don't think so because not unless they're going from (laughs) that's the demarcation line. Shane says yes immediately. Dylan says no immediately. No immediately, immediately. That's right. If you're in the resort, if you're going, you know, uh, (laughs) Dominican to Puerto Rico to to Bermuda, book it. Then yeah, yeah. If you're chipping (laughs) off that sweet sweet grass, then maybe. But otherwise, I don't don't think so. To share, you know, the resort point on Victor is actually deeper than people bring up because he won the amateur at Pebble. And I mean, in theory, that's a resort, right? Mm. I mean, if you think oh, about Pebble Beach, oh, yeah. and he played well at the U.S. Open there, so uh, maybe that's part of the the Victor legacy of playing the 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 not iconic places that you hear about so much that are private and you can't play, but more of the public uh, resort places is you know what did he lose one hole in match play the entire week at that at that uh, at that amateur? So all we want for Christmas is for Victor to win at a country club somewhere but, but but dylan i'll say this though i mean if you you were talking about the world ranking to start the year where'd you say victor was do you still have that up i think he was six like, yeah right but he was coming off an incredible late season run yeah. right i mean he came back at the hero and won when colin was going to get to world number one if he won there and played terrible yeah i think he won another event late in the season as well i think we've actually seen victor yeah. my hero he went like maybe back to back yeah yeah i mean i'm just saying like We've seen Victor get hot and, and win multiple times. So I feel like Victor's the kind of guy that when he gets the momentum wave going, I think he could win a lot in a row. I feel like Victor would be, if I did have a short list of players to Shane, to Sean's point, I think Victor would probably be on that list simply because we've seen it in a, maybe a, a, a smaller scale in his career already. Okay, I hope I like you're right. That. Yeah, same. Uh, in May, I hope I'm not skipping anything, but I might be. But the the one of the highlights in May is Sergio at the Wells Fargo going on an absolute tirade uh, off the left side of, is it the fifth hole? I can't even remember. Um, And anyone who's probably listening to this remembers that moment. Sergio basically promises that he's leaving the PGA Tour in three weeks because of everything that he was dealing with that day. Shane, as a broadcaster, like I felt like the, the PGA Tour... Uh, live broadcasters did a phenomenal job kind of laying out, but also telling the viewer what they thought they knew to be true. There's only so much that they could actually understand from the situation. John McGinnis, I believe was the on-course reporter that day. Like how weird are those moments as a broadcaster when you, you can see something's happening. Sergio's pissed. I don't know all the information here. What is that like? Weird, but awesome. I mean, those are the moments that when you're doing PGA Tour Live, especially, and you're doing all-day broadcast, and you've got the same groups, you are praying for weird moments. (laughs) I mean, I remember Wesley Bryan years ago, it might have been the Wells Fargo, hit it a mile right on a hole, tried to drive her off the deck, hit a tree, it went to the uh, the other side of the hole, and he just kept going back and forth, ended up making like six or seven. We had so much fun with that. I'm not sure there's a person better suited for that situation than John McGinnis, by the Mm -hmm. way. McGinnis is so smart and so good in that role, and so having him involved is always great. But, yo, I mean, you love that stuff. Like, you want to hear from players when they're being really honest and they're just losing their crap, right? Like that's what you're hoping to hear. And you're hoping that a audio picks it up and B you're cognizant enough to lay out because at times for us, the audio is slightly faint, right? I mean, sometimes they'll pump it up, but there are moments where when people go, I wish the broadcaster would stop talking. (laughs) Well, there's sometimes we don't even hear it. You know, like we might not be able to pick it up ourselves. So we don't know we're stepping on a great conversation that's maybe being pumped in at home, but yeah, I mean, the, the problem with that is the speculation on the back end. I mean, I think that's when you've got to kind of watch yourself is 
making sure you're saying what you know to be true and that you know is out there and maybe staying away from the stuff that could be reported as quote unquote breaking news if you get a little ahead of yourself. Yeah. It's funny. I was reading through these Rory Paul Kimmage interviews and his interaction with uh, with Sergio at the Wells Fargo was pretty noteworthy. I just want to read this to you because uh, Paul asked Rory when he knew uh, that when he found out that Sergio was going to go. And he said, yeah, look, basically the week that he berated the rules official at the <laughs> Wells Fargo in May. Kimmage said, well, how'd you find out? And Rory said, he said to me on the range that he'd gotten a new plane and that if I wanted to ride with him to that first live event in London, I was welcome. Rory's nice. like, I, I didn't know what he was talking about. When he left, I turned to Harry and, and said, what was he on about there? I didn't get the whole London thing. And Harry said, the first live event is in London. It didn't register with me at the time. Oh, wow. A real, real Tiger Poulter like, situation there with the airplane. Uh, that's, that's great. That's so awesome. Yeah, I, I got, got a new plane. plane. You want to ride? Unbelievable. I guess you could have. I guess you could have stopped it. I got a new plane, and then you probably yeah. would have realized that maybe the live check had cleared. Oh, exactly. Moving forward with the PGA Championship, this was somehow like, I mean, it was an exciting major, but it was maybe the least exciting of the least important, least uh, substantial in some ways of the year. Would you agree with that, Dylan? Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a good major year. Um, and I think Southern Hills was a very good host. I think the course excited a lot of people. I think the finish was thrilling. Uh, there were a lot of good storylines going on, but for most of the tournament, it was a leaderboard a little bit without, without intrigue because people didn't know who Mito Pereira was mm -hmm. and the story of, okay, will this unknown get it done? is interesting in hindsight but in real time people are saying okay can we see some big names in contention here i was uh i was at a wedding this weekend so i was not able to be there but dylan i know you were following tiger grinding to make the cut and that was that that was the week where i felt like a golf fan because tiger was grinding to make the cut on that friday i was going to the rehearsal dinner and I'm like checking my phone, I'm literally checking the app to like get scores. Oh, did he make birdies? He grinding up hard. Yeah. What was that like in person watching him do that in front of these crazed Oklahoma fans? Really cool. And I'd, I'd watched him in uh, at Augusta also and watched him walking on Saturday and Sunday using his golf club like a cane and actually <laughs> Bryson just being in the crowd watching Tiger because he thought it was cool. Um, and I remember thinking at the PGA when he made that cut and he was just hitting these high bloopy slices because that's all he could really do <laughs> off the tee. Just finding a way to get it in play. And I remember thinking, okay, look, at some point, this will not be enough. This will not be cool to root for Tiger to just make the cut or, you know, to appreciate Tiger just making the cut. But it's not yet. It's it's uh, it's not yet because this is still pretty inspiring to make a charge like that to make the weekend. And at the PGA Championship, that is another thing that people can, I think, forget is it's a lot harder to make the cut there than it is at the Masters where it's a small field. Um, yeah, only so many people in contention. And obviously, then it, it took a turn for the worse with Tiger withdrawing after his third round. But no, there was a pretty cool moment in time there. Well, and, and to your point, Sean, I mean, you get you get Tiger WD in, and at the same time, you have a, a rather rather unknown 
you know, really taking charge of the championship. And so to Dylan's point, everybody's kind of waiting for something to happen. It almost felt like the Jimmy Walker PGA where you're just kind of waiting for a moment to happen. And what's interesting about that was it was the 72nd hole in both instances, right? I mean, Jason Day goes two iron, two iron and makes Eagle. And then Mito hits whatever the hell that golf shot's called (laughs) and whatever we're going to call that for the rest of our lives. And then the moment that happened, the PGA woke up, right? And then you're talking about one of the great finishes that we've had in terms of a playoff. But uh, Dylan, I wanted to go back to your Southern Hills point because most years Southern Hills has been in the Rota. It's been the second best major venue. Mm. And this year it was the fourth. I mean, it's tough to compete <laughs> against crazy. Augusta, the old course and the country club returning, you know, to the U S open Rota. And so I think a lot of the times we get so excited about this great golf course, you know, being on the national stage. And I feel like a lot of people were really excited about the country club and getting super fired up for the old course. And maybe this was going to be the major they're going to take off. Yeah. So it probably always was going to be the fourth and it's also the PGA championship. So, you know, there's a natural little brother thing going on there. Um, For me, it was one of the most interesting because I was tracking Mito all week, actually, for a story that I had no idea was going to turn into what it turned into. Um, But, yeah, I mean, two moments stand out from that. And one was after his third round, he uh, he was in the lead. He had just birdied 18, but he didn't like the swing he'd made with five iron going. So he wanted to go hit balls after he finished with media. And I hopped on his golf cart with him and he, you know, pulled out his phone and kind of just instinctively opened Instagram. And the first thing that popped up was, oh, Tiger withdrew. Um, And he was just like, oh, my God, like Tiger (laughs) pulled out. I was like, dude, you're winning this tournament. You are. But, you know, it's still so hard to get out of that mindset of like everyone cares if if uh, Tiger wins. And then just being there in the in the locker room with him when he was kind of processing what had just happened. Um, was probably my most unforgettable moment of this season of him just, you know, I, I mentioned to him, look, I think a lot of people respect the fact that you went and you did media, you answered questions, you owned up to it. And uh, he was like, yeah, but, you know, but I I wasn't doing it because like, I, I'm not really like a good guy. Like I, I wasn't, I didn't want to be doing it. I was like, no, old man, that's the whole point. Like, obviously, you don't want right. to be doing it. You did it. Uh, you didn't just, like, blow people off. So that was a, a powerful moment to witness. Dylan, when, when the Mito thing's happening and you're already working on this piece about Mito, at what point did you have that moment where you're like, is this freaking guy going to win this thing? <laughs> you know, because, again, like, you have a story idea and yeah. you chase it not knowing where it goes, right? Yeah, and I, I was really expecting it to be um, – this is just how a, a PGA tour rookie approaches a major championship and it'll be fun to get some day in the life stuff. And, uh, you know, I talked to him and Joaquin Neiman, Sebastian Munoz during their practice rounds. I talked to his coach that he was with and his caddy. And yeah, it was supposed to just kind of be like a little one-off of like, Oh yeah, I'll go find this guy each day and have a check-in talk to him before and after his rounds. And then, yeah, I mean, it got very real, I guess, Friday afternoon, I think he played a really good round, uh, Saturday when then he's, he's still clinging to the lead. And then by the time Sunday comes around, I have this realization of like, either way, this is interesting now because he gets it done and, you know, I kind of have this front row seat or what ends up being more interesting is, is sadly processing a loss like this. Um, and I couldn't believe by the time he got to 18, I thought, well, he's going to win this thing. I mean, that was really the first time, I guess there was a putt on the 17th for birdie that he left kind of one full rotation short. And if that goes in, he probably wins the thing, Mm. but man, what a turn. 
Well, before we reach the halfway point, we got a couple more things to get to. Uh, in terms of the women's game, Minji Lee, I think she probably put on the most dominant performance of the year at the U.S. Women's Open. Uh, down at Pine Needles, she wins by three, uh, bogeying two of the last three. Shane, uh, not necessarily Minji alone, but when you think of your uh, your perspective on the entire women's golf year, what stands out to you? I keep going back to Lydia and just I always get so impressed when you kind of lose it and you find it again. And I'm not talking about the swing or anything. I'm talking like mentally. I mean, you go from being this incredibly dominant teenager that's doing stuff that's never really been done before. And then you can't close out tournaments and you can't really win anymore. And to find that skill because it's a skill, right? I mean, it's a skill to be able to 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 find yourself comfortable, you know, on the 72nd hole like Mito was. And for Lydia to be this comfortable again, I love that. I mean, it's like somebody, you know, not being able to make a five-footer or getting the shanks and then kind of beating those. I mean, I always thought talked about this with Steve Stricker and his ability to hit fairways again and to kind of go with that fairway finder for the latter part of his career and to win consistently on the PGA Tour again when he couldn't find a fairway. I mean, obviously, it's been well-documented with Max in that same world as well. So I feel like every time I watch Lydia do what Lydia does and when I check the leaderboard on Saturday or Sunday and she's four ahead and she's winning again, I, uh, I just go back to she lost her golf game. Yeah. And now look where Lydia is. And again, what is she, 22? Like, you know, she's not 40. She's not Steve Stricker winning back-to-back comeback players of the year. I mean, this is someone that could win 50 more events before she's done playing golf. She's 25, um, which is very young. And I think that it's a good reminder because someone tweeted this at me today. I basically tweeted out, you know, it's kind of cool to see how many tour pros are fawning over Nelly Korda's game. Um, Right. And... Some, someone tweeted at me, you know what? Lydia Ko is pretty damn good. She's one year older than Nelly, and she's won 11 more times. Like we, so She's wild. been around for so long, and like Nelly Korda is incredible. She is fantastic and is a different sort of leader in the women's game in her own right. And she might spend more weeks at world number one than Lydia Ko does, but like, it's it's you got to think about the last decade of Lydia Ko when you try to put it into, you know, any context. It's it's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, there's kind of two ways that I guess we think about careers and it's like the age of the person, but then also the age of the career. And those are two separate things. And with someone like Lydia, and I guess this happens more frequently in the women's game, those really can mean two separate things. I mean, like Leona McGuire, I think did all four years at Duke, yeah. right? Before yeah. she turned pro. So she was like an LPGA tour rookie and and she's the same age as Lydia. I guess she's a little older than Lydia and has like a decade less experience on the LPGA tour. Um Minji Lee really felt like she that was like a cool arrival moment. Like yeah. she just balled out at that at the US Open. Um I think that was a pretty enduring moment for me. I mean, Nelly obviously had a, a real roller coaster of a year. Uh, the stuff at the, I mean, I love battles for world number one. So this year on the LPGA was really good stuff for that. It was just a revolving door. Um, Shane, you're looking like you're getting ready to say something over there. No, I mean, I, 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 I just, I agree with you on the world number one thing. And I mean, I think to the Minji point and Lydia point, Think about what 21 was about. I mean, it was Jin Young Ko versus Nelly, and it yeah. was back and forth, and it was Nelly dominant early in the season, and then Jin Young so great late in the season, and then really to have two names that aren't those two names 
kind of break out, mm-hmm. one breaking out for the really the first major time in her career and the other one kind of coming back to dominance. I mean, what more could you ask for? And then you've still got Jin Young Ko and you've still got Nelly in there and around hungry in 2023. So, you know, I, I just keep saying this. If you're not paying attention or watching LPGA golf, I mean, you're just missing out on some of the most competitive stuff in sport right now. And it's global as well. I mean, you're talking about players from all sorts of walks of life and from totally different countries that are competitive and great and have the chance and, and the opportunity to win multiple times, including multiple majors uh, in a full season. And we've seen four names really do that over the last couple of years. It was definitely a reminder that this stuff doesn't last forever. Like the Nelly Jin Young Co stuff felt like this is, this is going to be it for the next several years. <laughs> and in golf, lasts, like the only, yeah. the only sure thing is that, yeah, is betting against, you know, whoever's hot right now. Like, and actually, you know, I, I actually thought that I was doing this with Scheffler. I was such a Scheffler doubter early in the season. I remember the week of the masters being like, no Scheffler, like he's more likely, I think I said he's more likely to like miss the cut this week than be in contention because no one can stay this hot for this long. And then of course he goes and wins. I hope that um, they include that on the Netflix doc, Dylan. I hope that oh that's God. the clip that gets you in there. But uh, but yeah, I mean, then you have these cool new storylines that emerge. And in this case, yeah, nothing's guaranteed. Like it seemed like Lydia Ko would be great forever. And then it seemed like maybe she was never going to recapture that magic. So then to do it, uh, I mean, I know there were speed comparisons, but obviously, like, I mean, Lydia's career is, I guess she's she's won even more than speed has. Um but seeing some of those storylines actually play out when there's just no way that we actually could have seen them coming in that particular way, it's pretty cool. And, and you know, like the, the thing we've been talking about so much over the last few years on the media side in terms of LPGA golf, women's golf, and men's golf is let's find this team event. Let's find a united event where we can play golf. And when you hear these players, when you hear Kisner and Max talk about playing with Nelly, and you're hearing players that have probably never played with her before, and the admiration and the respect and the appreciation for her golf game, that's only going to happen more. Yeah. If you have an event where they're both on the same golf course competing either for the same thing or for similar level titles. I mean, I just don't understand how this doesn't go on to win. And I don't understand why this isn't a separator if you're the PGA Tour from what Liv is doing. If you're really looking for a shakeup the next couple of years, this is only going to produce headlines for golf people to read and to digest and to appreciate. And it's only going to grow the respect, not just with the fans, but with the professional golfers as well. I mean, you're seeing it in their words. I totally agree. It feels so obvious, uh, and yet, who knows if Liv creates its own women's tour here in like the next twelve months, the PGA Tour could be kicking itself. But the last thing, Shane, we got to touch on for like the first half of the year is Liv. Liv launching, and I was just thinking about it as the other day. I was I was doing a little writing about this specific time of year, late May. We've seen the PGA Championship happen, and. At that point, Liv had actually kept its field under wraps really well. Like, Liv has sucked all year at keeping things under wraps. Everything's been leaked. Things they want leaked, things they don't want leaked. It's, it's all been leaked. Corrigan's reported a bunch on it. Bob Harris reported a bunch on it. Whatever. But the their field, including Dustin Johnson and inclusive of Phil making sure he was going to play, we didn't have that guaranteed until Liv told us on a, I think it was a Tuesday or Wednesday night when they dropped the field. And we we had confirmations of all these guys. Um, 
I was, I think, I think collectively we were pretty flabbergasted at the time. I, if you guys can like transport yourselves back, like when you saw that DJ's name was atop this thing, did it feel like a, did it feel sexy or did it feel like a punch in the gut? Cause it felt like both to me. Felt necessary for Liv. It felt like a bummer as a golf fan okay. because that just meant I wasn't going to get to see Dustin play Rory or Dustin, um, you know, out at, at, at the same events playing against the guys I want to see Dustin play against. And I mean, a lot of people have touched on this, but that's the separator here is golf is now in a space where you're not going to see outside of the majors. Right. And, and who knows what the hell that's going to look like in the next couple of years. But outside of those events, until something changes, not to see Dustin playing Riv, you know, not mm -hmm. to see Dustin. I mean, Dustin won Travelers, you know, like that's an event Dustin Johnson should not be winning. Like to see Dustin out there having to beat the guys that typically win the Travelers, like Kevin Streelman level golfers, yeah. and to see Dustin find the new way to do that. I feel like that was probably the most bummed I was because again, at the end of the day, we all like the sport and we want to watch, you know, good golf on good golf courses with good players at the end of the day. And I just feel like I was like, oh man, like this is like one of my favorite guys to watch, you know, like I like not just the press conferences, yeah. Sean, like I want to see him out there as well on the golf course. And I feel like it, it felt inevitable that that wasn't going to be the case. Who does the PGA Tour miss the most? Uh, I honestly think. I think you can make that argument for Dustin only because he was the linchpin that it changed on that, that's yeah. that, that came out with his statement and said, no, I'm staying on PGA tour, uh, whatever, three months later I'm leaving and I'm the, the kingpin here. I'm the one that changed everybody's arithmetic that, that changed yeah. what, what Brooks Kepka was thinking about when it came to live and it changed everyone else's idea of what this thing was capable imagine that field coming out and the best player they have in it is sergio they almost did it was all <laughs> they didn't know that dj was coming yeah. like they i mean they didn't know for sure with like a few it was like a, a the day before they sent out the field list i think is when dj actually signed on wow. the line. he's one of the winningest um, golfers in pga tour history 20 wins truly one of the greatest talents i think the game has ever seen yeah. and so i think that the tour if they had him or didn't lose him keeps things together in a little bit different way um you can obviously it's interesting to see yeah like what happens if he's not on that list because i remember norman saying look i hope some nobody wins a four million dollar first <laughs> prize check like does i wonder if it happens the same way or if he really was key to legitimizing the whole operation i have a i have a name um that is probably not one you're thinking of that maybe the pga tour misses the most bring it on um i think it's phil I mean, I, I think if you eliminate the idea of live yeah. and you eliminate the comments that Phil made early in the season and beyond, right? Yeah. Phil Mickelson is one of the faces, one of the two faces of the PGA Tour, even in this era. I mean, Phil's coming off winning the PGA Championship, one of the great wins we've ever seen. I mean, what is the oldest player ever to win one? I mean, he, he was he was going to play as a defending champion of the PGA. We knew what he'd do at the Masters. I mean, he could get in contention. He could miss the cut. Who the hell knows? But on the outside of this... Something that I feel like people missed a bit is if there's no live, live doesn't exist and there's no competitive market out there, at some point, because we already saw Phil do it, at some point Phil's probably going to go full-time to the Champions Tour. And you know who else is going to be turning 50 relatively soon is Tiger. 
And if you're the Champions Tour and you're trying to boost your product and there's an actual opportunity that you might get Tiger and Phil playing against each other on that tour, it'd be like the early 90s when you had Trevino and Jack and that crew, and at times it would outrate the PGA Tour. So I think there's probably an argument to be made that the PGA Tour misses the idea of Phil Mickelson the most. I don't know if they necessarily miss the person that's Phil, but when you kind of look ahead at the trajectory of their golf and their tours and what they're trying to sell – Phil sells. Yeah, he, I mean, people still like he Phil is Nicholson. an easy asset to sell, or at least he, you know, he was 12 months ago. When you think about, right? Uh, again, like the person, I think we've learned a lot about Phil the person this year, and we'll learn more as more books come out. Uh, but the person the PGA Tour was selling was the guy with the thumbs up, the guy who was won a lot, the guy who will talk to fans and will sign gloves, and he'll do all these more humanist, yeah. human interest type of things. That is what the PGA Tour wants, man. That is their bread and butter. I think that's a really good point, Shane. Um, he was sucking at golf, but like that, like there's he had one good week. Yeah, and and that sometimes that's all it takes. You know, I think the aging Phil could have been an asset, like you described. That we'll really never know. Oh well, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Lives taking it to whatever they can do with it, but um, yeah. I think those are both good answers. I think DJ and Phil. You, both have a strong case. I think you have a case for for Cameron Smith because he was really the only guy at the peak of his game not battling injury or advanced age uh, to go. One guy I think that the tour sneaky really misses who would have been a a real asset in this back and forth is Brooks Kepka. Um, and I think we tend to almost forget about him uh, in the last few months at least. But you could imagine Brooks Kepka spitting fire on behalf of the PGA Tour and really being the guy <laughs> to go out did. and say, look, I play the tournaments that matter, and those guys have effectively retired. And if they wanted to keep playing important golf, you know, they'd be on the PGA Tour. And I, no one has no one has really nailed that message. I feel like the criticisms of Liv have, have evolved, and a lot of them have not necessarily stuck. Um, but I think Brooks was probably more injured than, uh, he or we were willing to admit. And at a certain point that money therefore became more enticing, that schedule became more enticing, but it it was, I think he is a sneaky big time loss for the PGA tour just because of his resume and because of the big game that he's always talked. So is, is he tied in terms of modern major winners, I mean, if you look past Phil and Tiger, is he tied with the most wins? Is that right? Yeah, because yeah, it'd be if him you and get past and Rory, Phil, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, when you you think, I was thinking about that to share about Kepka when when Sean asked that, and you know, I mean, I don't think he's personable enough to to maybe be the answer, but I was I was on the road you were going down where. You know, you're talking about a guy that can be combative, so he would have said maybe the stuff certain players wouldn't have wanted to say about the quote-unquote other tour. But at the same time, I mean, this is a guy that if he gets healthy could end his career with six or seven majors, yeah. right? I mean, I think if you asked him today, he'd probably say, oh, that's low. <laughs> but is he going to be competitive enough playing live, and is he going to be grinding out rounds the way he might on the tour to be competitive in the major championships? And I guess that's yet to be seen because we haven't had a full year of this. But I think for Kepka in terms of legacy on tour, I mean, this is a guy you could lean on just like you could lean on DJ. Yeah. Ugh. And Rory's, even Rory's four wins, I mean, those came 
you know, half a generation ago. So in terms of modern major champions, he's the guy. Yeah. It's Brooks, and then it, yeah, and it's everyone else. Yep. Um, all right. Well, with Rory, the last thing I have written down here is just how that was the night that I knew that it was a war, an actual civil war. Is the Sunday of the same weekend in which Liv puts on its event, and Greg Norman, you know, spends all week like thumping his chest. Um, that Sunday, Rory dunked on Rorman. Rory beats JT and Finau in Canada and uses his post-tournament uh, media time to accept the trophy and say, yeah, now I have more wins than Greg Norman. Um, does that – it's funny looking back how many words have been shared <laughs> between Rory and, and Norman. And, like, I think it's, it's a, an oddly, like, forgettable moment only because like it was at the beginning and we've we've known so much since then but that was at least for me that was the day we're like oh shit it's on like this is a civil war he made a note of it i mean you know obviously yeah. i mean that was that was planned i mean you know you talk about pre-planned speeches that people give all the time i mean that was one of the nuggets he really wanted to hammer down i was up in canada i was part of that broadcast crew that week and it was buzzing man <laughs> i mean people were fired up it was fiend now it was jt it was rory it was like the perfect storm if you will for what the tour would have wanted to see and what the canadian fans were hoping to see and for him to win and bring that up i will say this though i want 2023 no norman comments from rory let's you did Ooh. it you're 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 more famous than the I guy. Think that's smart. You're you're more successful than the guy. Yeah. You surpassed him business wise. You did your thing. I think at this point you're punching low. The best bits end before you before you yes. have a chance to the say the UK All right. office. Yes, it's three seasons. Let's get out of here. Yep. Oh, I like that. That's a good goal for Rory. Um, you're beneath me, Greg Norman. Just leave it at that. We've gone for a long time. And look at this. Kyle Porter's trying to enter because we're about to start a podcast. Is he really? Let him in. Oh, he's Can you let him too. in? This is a crossover <laughs> Can you let transition. Him in? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Hey, Kyle, are you there? You just, did you, your mic not working or did you, did you fall off? I'm here. Oh. Okay. Hi, buddy. How are we doing? Good. We're just, we just wrapped up and I just wanted to say hi to you before I left. Oh, I, I, I was confused. I thought we were like, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Bad I was. I was I was like, well, maybe me and Shane are doing it together. That'd be great. <laughs> no, I just I'm I'm done. I'm passing it off. But you know what? It's I June mean, now. Live recording. This, Here we go. This is like Tiger Han and Rory the Torch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Let's let's not step into that world. Um, you guys have a great chat with uh with a much smarter human being about golf. Uh, and also, please, if you're listening to this, buy Normal Sport Two. I read every word in the book. And it is sensational, and you're going to love it, and it'll make you laugh and chuckle and reminisce about the wildest year in the history. And of golf. Shane, the where can people zoo, right? buy? Yeah, where can people buy the golfer zoo? Uh, if you go to back9press.com, nine the number not uh, spelled out. What is the term for that? What is it if you spell it out versus the number? Is there a term for that? There know. is. None of us know it. <laughs> okay, yeah. perfect. If you where's poor app when you need them? Um, uh, back9press.com backslash bacon. You could buy it from there. It's also going to be on Amazon, I think, at the end of this week. So uh, you can also check it out there. And like I said, get uh, get normal sport as well. Um, very entertaining and worth your time. And you boys uh, enjoy it. Enjoy the second half of the PJ Tour season. <laughs> Thanks, Shane. All right, folks. That was Shane Bacon, author, golf presenter, personality extraordinaire. Thank you, Shane, for coming on. And uh, you heard Kyle Porter of CBS kind of busting into our Zoom call at the end there. Because, as you saw, we ran a little bit long with Shane. So check out Shane's book if you're a parent, if you know someone that is a parent, or if you just want to read it. Um, and come listen to our 
You're in review part two with Kyle Porter, wherever you find the drop zone. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.